Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this day. Thank you for the beautiful rains, Lord, which came down so heavily and washed our earth, Lord. Thank you for the cleanness and the freshness of the air this morning, Lord, for the way that you have provided for us in our drought, Lord. We pray that you would continue uh, to provide rain and snow for us, Lord, that you continue to fill our lakes and reservoirs, and that you would uh, heal and strengthen this dry and parched land. We pray that you this morning would wash us clean as well, and that you would speak to our dry and parched hearts, that you would provide relief and refreshment and restoration today. Lord, give me your words to proclaim to your people, Lord, and fill us up with your hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning! It is great to see you all today. Well, I've uh, been involved in a group, a community health improvement planning group uh, at the county, and I had the pleasure last week of sitting next to a person who works for the hospital. They work for Dignity Health at Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital. And this person in particular is involved in, uh, she is standing up a group that is working to free people from, identify and free people from human trafficking at our hospital. So apparently all of the hospitals in the Dignity Health System are working on some program like this, and she has established the one up here at our hospital. Now human trafficking, you think, big deal, maybe internationally, but Nevada County, no way, right? We're off the highway, we're in the middle of nowhere, like who would traffic humans around here? But apparently, according to a presentation that was given by uh, a law enforcement official up in Truckee, he came down and presented something last year, he said that it's estimated that human trafficking is a $9 billion industry. So there's some money behind this, right? And the U.S. is one of the top three destinations for trafficked victims. We like being in the top three, don't we? But not for something like this. This is not what we want to be known for. A top three for human trafficking? California, New York, Texas, and Nevada are the top destination states within the U.S. Contrary to popular opinion, though, trafficking isn't just limited to the sex trade which is what we often think of immediately, right? We think of prostitution or things like that. No, it appears in all forms that uh, there's domestic servitude. What is that? Slaves. Slaves, like, and often, like, in a household or working for a particular person. I remember hearing of this in Texas. Somebody knew someone who was stuck in a situation like this. They'd been brought from El Salvador and were working for this family in their house and not paid and not cared for and not, and, like, were stuck. Stuck there. Uh, Sweatshop factories, also in our beautiful country. Uh, Migrant agricultural work, right? And the traffickers use violence, fraud, and coercion to compel women, men, and children into slavery. Uh, Many of the victims, unfortunately, don't speak the language of the land, so English around here, and are unable to communicate with anyone who might be able to help them. Or they feel like they've done something illegal, and so they, the police won't be of any help to them. They're worried that they won't be able to help them, which is not true, but that fear has been uh, developed in them by the people who hold them as slaves. Now, research by San Diego State University indicates that potentially uh, over 495,000 undocumented Mexican workers have been victims of labor trafficking in California. It's almost half a million 
have been a victim of labor trafficking in California, potentially stolen from their homes, their families threatened, brought to the border, and sold at the border to people who will employ them or use them for labor in the United States. Now, also 300,000 American children work as prostitutes in the U.S. That's an unpleasant statistic. Uh, and, all, and they say between 1.6 million to 2.8 million children run away every year in the United States. And of those 1.8 million to 2.8 million, 33% are lured, are recruited into prostitution, or involved with pornography within the first 48 hours of running away. That's disturbing, isn't it? And Nevada County is no stranger to human trafficking. Remember in 2014, the massage parlor that the owners had a place in Nevada City and a place in Auburn, right, got busted for, um, well, they were arrested at least on suspicion of pimping, pandering, human trafficking, and conspiracy. And this person I spoke to who works at the hospital, she said that since they set up the program, this program at our own hospital, which is not very long ago, they've already identified three victims of human trafficking at Sierra Nevada. And that's just people who come into the emergency room to get treatment for something, and they're able to identify that they're a person who is stuck in a situation. So it might be easy to try to compartmentalize it and say that's a problem for other places like Sacramento or you know, Reno or Las Vegas or New York. But the problem is right here, right here in our county, right here among us. This dehumanizing activity of human trafficking is one stark example we have of the way in which our world seeks to destroy people and destroy the image of God, the beauty of people. And Paul speaks to that in his second letter to the Corinthians. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a church who we shared a complicated relationship with. He had planted this church, and he was greatly beloved by them, until a group had risen up who doubted him as a leader and as an apostle, and they sought to overrun his influence. They sought to depose him as their leader. Paul then went on a campaign of sending letters and emissaries and even visiting the church himself, and the situation had improved, but he still wrestled with a faction in the church who just would not come to grips with him as the apostle. So Paul writes this letter, and in our section he speaks about the changed life and perspective of a person who is in Christ. He contrasts this view of a Christian with a human view. Right, And the human view, I think, probably differs from country to country or region to region. But in the United States, I would probably characterize the human view as a utilitarian view of people. Right? What is utilitarian? What is, like, the basis of utilitarianism? What's useful? That's right, what's useful? So, when in people, then you're worried about, or you're interested in what's useful, what utility they have in society. Right, so that means that a someone who is very valuable in society is more valuable as a person than someone who has no real benefit for society as a whole. Right, according to utilitarianism. And so, for instance, you might ask this question at uh, a party, right? What do you do? Right, anyone asked that question before? What do you do? Right, why do we ask that question? What's that? Curious what their profession is, right? Yeah. What's that? 
How useful they are to us? Maybe so, yeah? What else? Yeah? See if you have something in common. There can be really good reasons for that too, right? Like maybe we have some connection through what we spend our time at work in. Um, But there also can be like a social hierarchy statement that's made in that, right? Is this person above me or below me in some kind of ladder? Is this person uh, someone I need to pander to or someone I have influence over? Right? Which way is favor moving in this relationship? Or we say, you know, like, um, or we wonder how much they make, right? Does their job pay well? What kind of car do they drive? Where did they go to school? What are they wearing? What do their clothes say about the person? Are they a person who dresses smartly? Are they a person who doesn't? And what does that say about that person? What family are they from? What part of the world are they from? Were they born in California? Are they a native son, right, or native daughter? Are you a local or not? Right? Are you local or not? That matters around here, doesn't it? Um, Still not a local. Never will be, unfortunately. But neither will my kids, right? That's how it is. We'll always be outsiders. But that is how the world works, right? We judge people based on these standards and utility Because that's how our world works. We know the routine. We know how this works. We know the measuring of others and ourselves by the human standards of our society. And Paul says that's the way it used to be for us. That's the way it used to be. That's old behavior. We used to look at people that way and say, oh, They're wealthy, they should be cared for, and they're poor, we can forget about them. That's the way it used to be. But Paul speaks of a new way for us. He asserts that from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view. So who does Paul regard from a human point of view? No one. Whether rich or poor, no one gets regarded from a human point of view. When we look out in the world as Christians, we no longer see the world as we did before by placing value judgments on people based on the human way of seeing. Things are different for us. But not because we somehow changed the way we see. right? Not because we figured out that we were kind of blind and we fixed it. right? Because how easy of it is it to actually fix blindness? Say, for instance, you have a really difficult time seeing objects that are close to you. Is it easy to fix that? Without glasses? Without laser surgery? On your own, is it easy to fix that? Can you just muster up the will to see better? Oh, man, I just need to see better. If I try harder, I'm sure I'll see better. No, it doesn't work that way. What do you have to do? You have to go get help, right? you got to go to the optometrist say, something's wrong, I can't see well. And the optometrist checks out your eyes, gives you a prescription, puts glasses on you, and suddenly things are fixed. That's like what Paul is saying. Before we couldn't see things right, we looked at everything through this myopic point of view. We just were unable to see how things were working and who people really were. We saw shadows and forms and we made judgments on people based on that. But now in Christ, we have a prescription that has corrected our vision, and we no longer see people that way. 
we see them the way Jesus sees them. He says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God. Paul asserts that the the locus of this is not our own efforts, our own abilities, but God himself, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So Paul argued that because we have been transformed, we see people in a new way. We see them with love and compassion because our Lord has seen us that way and we have received his grace. So think about this, right? God has seen us with love and compassion and forgiven us our sins and set us free. He has identified us as people who have sin and yet through his grace and love have been forgiven. We then take that out in the world and we share it. We see people who are broken and in need of grace. And we don't come out them with judgment. We don't come out them with condemnation. We respond to them with love. Because God took us broken people in need of grace and loved us. Do you see how that works? We've received and so we give. It's like a game of tennis, right? You can't hit the ball if the ball hasn't been hit to you. Right? The ball has come to us, we have received it, and we pass it on. That's the way grace works. When we receive the transformation that comes through the grace of God and go out as new creations, we are made ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. And as ambassadors, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we're made ambassadors for Christ and given a message a message of reconciliation. May that relationship between you and God be reconciled. That is our message. Now, what does an ambassador do? On behalf of what? Whatever. That's right. Ambassador speaks on behalf of whatever. So our ambassador to, I don't know, Fiji. Right? Our ambassador to Fiji, what do they do? What's that? Well, they speak on behalf of us to Fiji, right? And the Fijian ambassador speaks on behalf of Fiji to us, right? And so as an ambassador, you have your feet in another land, but your values, your goals, your objectives, everything is based on that land that you represent, right? So if you're our ambassador as an American, you represent the United States of America's values, goals, and aims and ambitions in this other place. Now, if you're an ambassador for Christ in this world, whose goals, ambitions, and values do you represent in this world? Christ. Christ. So when you go to parties like ambassadors do, and when you go to meetings, whose values are you proclaiming in all those things? Christ, you and I were ambassadors. We have been commissioned and given a mission to proclaim reconciliation through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has entrusted that to us. Now, I began this sermon by speaking of human trafficking because even in the midst 
of the absolute oppression and degradation that it represents. God can make that person new. God can take the stain of sin, the pain of the life of slavery. He can make a new creation. There is nothing that a person can do or has done that can separate them from the love of Christ. He can reach them, and he can forgive them, and he can set them free. That is the hope that rests at the core of the gospel. There is now no condemnation in Christ. You and I, we know this is true. Because whether we want to admit it or not, we were victims of human trafficking as well. We were held in bondage to sin and death. And it was a cruel master that held us. We know that feeling of being stuck, unable to extricate ourselves, full of fear of the implications of what happens if we ever get out of this behavior and the implications of what happens if we continue in it. We know that feeling. And we know our inability to free ourselves. But Jesus Christ burst down those walls and broke our chains so that we could be free. And now for us, people who have been freed of slavery, what will we do in this world? We are new creations. And we're called to no longer see people in the human way, but through Christ's eyes. So how will we serve in this world? Well, we're called to be people who reconcile others to God, to proclaim this message of reconciliation. We're called to bring peace where there is strife. We're called to stand for justice. How can we set the slave free? How can we do this? Well, for one, I think just being conscious that it is a reality around this is a helpful thing. Being aware of the presence of human trafficking right here in our fair county. And certainly we can turn away from those obvious sins that feed into it, right? Pornography, drugs, prostitution, those things which are natural conduits for human trafficking, right? We can turn away from those and repudiate those. We can be educated on where our food or our products come from and who makes them. I mean, that information is available to us. We can turn away from industries that support and promulgate this this mode of dealing with people. We can encourage our politicians and businesses to do the same. We can find those people who really build up others and seek to care for them, and we can encourage them in that work. We can get involved in the many local groups that are seeking to stamp this out because there's a lot. Right? This person I spoke to who works for the hospital, they were looking for church involvement. They realized that in their sphere, they can only do so much. They can only enact so much change and care for people to a certain level. But ultimately, they run out of resources. They run out of ability. They run out of connection with people. But they understood that the churches had the ability to do profoundly more than they could on their own. So we can get involved. We can get involved in changing people's lives and seeing them delivered. But first... We can repent. We can repent. We can confess the ways that we've supported systems that enslave others. We can confess our desire for cheap products, for pleasure, 
for whatever which have led us to blindly enable this system, we can confess and repent of those things. And when we confess, we are reminded that as Paul says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because you and I serve a God who was not satisfied to sit outside, to wait up in heaven for us to figure out how to save ourselves, but who entered our slavery with us, took upon himself our bonds, and died for those so that you and I could be free. We serve a God who is intimately acquainted with our pain and suffering. May we as Christians choose a life of entering into people's pain and suffering with them. May we speak the words of Christ because that is so necessary. Because you might set somebody free in a political sphere. You might free them from, I don't know, whatever they're stuck in, prostitution or um, migrant labor where they're unpaid for their services. We might free them from that and they might get another job or do something else. But unless we offer the hope of Christ, we're just giving a temporary solution. The hope that we have in Christ offers freedom which can never be taken from a person. May we share this hope freely and joyfully, knowing that it is this hope that has set us free as well. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are the one who breaks the bonds and frees the slave. Lord God, we live now in this epidemic of modern slavery. Lord, and it happens all around us. Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry for the ways that we have been a part of this. We're sorry that we have seen the world not through these new eyes of Christ, but through human eyes. We have judged others on their appearance or their job, Lord God, we have condemned them with our hearts. We have not been concerned for them, Lord, in their pain and suffering. We confess this to you, Lord God. We pray that you would break our hearts. Lord, and help us to love and care, Lord, for those who are in need and those who are hurting. We pray that you would give us uh, modes of entry, Lord, into ways to help others. Lord, show us how we can do this. Show us how we can proclaim your good news to those who are in need. And we pray that your hope, Lord God, would break the bonds and would free the slave. Thank you for doing this work in us, Lord. And we pray that you would send us out into the world to serve you by faithfully doing the same. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.